With that, we're going to still be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going line by line, verse by verse in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 8. Beck is going to read for us this morning, chapter 8, uh, verses 4 through 21. So please stand as we give honor for God's Word. God's Word for God's people. If you'd read with me, uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from the town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes to take away the word from their hearts, so that they may not come, or so they not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed Um, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even he thinks that he, sorry, even what he thinks that he has will will be taken away. Then His mothers and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is God's word for God's people. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. It is your word for your people. And Lord, I pray that uh, a simple prayer that everyone in here would have ears to hear and understand what you would teach us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go have a seat. I tell you what, that's one massive moth up there. Did you guys see that? That was a bird at first flying around in here. I was like, what's going on here? All right. When I start with the question, would you consider yourself a good listener? A good listener. Who in here is a good listener? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, it's one person. All right, Joey. You are a good one. He's a counselor, so he is a good listener, right? He is a good listener. Thank you, Joey. Well, we know that that listening is vital because we're a relational people. 
There are two things that happen in communication. There is one who speaks and then there is one who listens. It is vital. It is one of the most important things that we can do and become as good listeners, good hearers. And to have healthy relationships, we need to listen well. Meaningful, fruitful communication, again, is a two-way street. One speak and the other listen. But too often, is this your experience? Too often when we, when we meet someone maybe for the first time and we're talking to them, we're immediately hearing what they're saying, we're listening, but we're, we're already rebutting what they're going to say or, 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 or have something to say back to them. And so our listening at first is good, but then we immediately turn off our listening to get ready to speak. And it's not always bad, it's just how we're wired. Most of us like to talk, right? Most of us like to talk. Larry King, probably one of the greatest interviewers ever, said this, though, about listening. He said, if we want to learn, we learn most by hearing and not speaking. And that's just some great wisdom. We learn more by listening and hearing and not speaking. And it's a biblical principle because James says, be quick to what? Hear and slow to speak. Now this for me gets put to test every Sunday and probably like many of you is we have visitors come in and we shake hands and, they, and we're listening and they're giving us their name and then we start talking and then immediately what happens if you're like me, what happened? Forget the name, right? How many of that? Some of you guys might have forgot the names already this morning. Go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> You don't have to do that. Now people look at you like, you already forgot my name. What's up, man? So, uh, but we all do that. It, it happens to me all the time. And, and maybe this is not so much a listening skill than a memory skill, right? I think it happens to me. I always forget names. I have to write names in my phone always. And then on Tuesday mornings, I'm like, I, I'm glad I have Daniel and Rich and Beck and Joey because they got sharp minds and they can remember. I was like, who's that person? They know their name. Oh, yeah, that's their name. Okay, good, good, good. I've just been hitting the head one too many times, I think, growing up, you know? So... Well, this morning, Jesus calls us to listen and to listen intently because what's at stake is literally uh, the proof that you and I are in the kingdom of God, that we are children, children of the king. That's what's at stake this morning. And here's what's awesome about today's text. Jesus gives us this parable. He, he gives us the parable, but then he does also something unique that he doesn't do in many other parables. He explains it to us. He teaches it to us. So this morning, literally, like every Sunday, but literally this one, we are sitting at the feet of Jesus this morning, and He is going to teach us about this parable. So this morning, let's be good listeners today. Let's be good listeners today. Let's be good listeners today. So first, we see the parable of the really the fruitful hearer in Luke 8, 4 through 15. And so let me ask you a question, though, as we look at this. Why, why does Luke put the parable of the sowers right here in his narrative. As we've been following Luke, he's not as uh, concerned with chronological events like Matthew and Mark. He kind of skips all over. But a very particular reason, he puts the, 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 the message of the sorrows, the parable of the sorrows here. Why is that? Well, as we know that Jesus has been going around basically Galilee, and he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He's been setting the captives free through the gospel. He's been doing healings and miracles. He's showing that there's a new kingdom ethic as he's preaching, the, again, the good news all over Galilee. But the question is, we see different responses from different individuals. And the reason why he puts the, sea, uh, the, the parable of the sore here is to show us that that's normal. People are going to respond to Jesus and his message differently back then as well as today. We see that some have believed when, the, when Jesus is proclaiming the gospel or preaching the good news. Some responded like the sinful woman we looked last week with faith 
and belief. And then it it, it rooted action in their lives. And we saw fruit, the centurion, the, the 12 disciples, the paralytic. But we've also seen others reject him. They respond through rejection. As we looked at Simon the Pharisee last week and all the religious leaders. This Jesus really isn't a prophet. If he was truly a prophet, he would have known, right? They, they, re- they reject him. They're not listening. They hear what Jesus said, but they're not listening. So these are two very different responses to Jesus and his ministry. And again, the reason why he puts it here is to say, that's okay. People are going to respond differently to the gospel, just like many of us over our lives. So quick review, though. What is a parable? A parable is... It literally means to come alongside. I love how one put it. It's an earthly story with heavenly meanings. Uh, Jesus uses parables in ordinary day, ordinary language, ordinary circumstances and situations to explain spiritual realities. That's what a parable is. And this parable is really the king of all parables. It's numero uno. It's the number one draft pick. It's the most important parable in all of Scripture. In the Gospels, there's over 30 parables that, that Jesus says, and this is number one. One reason why is because, one, he, again, now he tells us the parable, but he explains it. He gives us the purpose in parables. But then also he says in Mark chapter 4, in the same account, that if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand all the rest of the parables. And so the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all contain this parable. The interesting thing is John, the gospel of John, has no parables in it. All the parables of Jesus are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so that's a parable. Now, very important thing. Mostly when we think of parables, we think parables have one specific purpose and one specific meaning. And that's, again, to illuminate the truths of the kingdom of God, to, to, to help us understand the spiritual principles that Jesus is trying to get through. That is true. That is a fact. But there's also a second thing. And so the first is that it reveals God's truth. But the second purpose of parables is that it also conceals God's truth to those that are in opposition to him. So every time Jesus says a parable, he says it in, 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 a, in, a, in a, a circumstance or a context, a lot of them where he's talking to non-believers, people that are opposed to Jesus. And that's why they can't get it, like we looked at last week, when he told the parable to Simon the Pharisee about the money lender and the two debtors and how he just frees the debt. And he's like, Simon, do you get the parable? And he got it intellectually, but it didn't seep down to his heart, and he didn't get the spiritual meaning behind it. Because his heart was hard against Jesus. He was in opposition. And so, when we look at parables, you can say parables are like the sun. The same rays that can melt the heart can also harden clay. The sun, the same rays, will melt the wax, but also will harden the clay. And we look at Luke 8.10. Here again, we see the purpose of this parable. Jesus says, to you, the disciples and us, it has been given. This is a grace of God. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, non-Christian, those who are on the outside, they are in parables. And he quotes Isaiah 6, for this purpose... Seeing that they might, uh, seeing they may to see and hearing they may not understand. And so here he quotes Isaiah 6. And again, it's also done in in Matthew and in Mark. And and Isaiah 6 is actually quoted about six times in, in the New Testament. And it always refers to unbelief or people who are in opposition to Jesus that their hearts are so hardened towards Jesus. They want nothing to do with him. This is 
is who Jesus says they see, but they not perceive and they hear, so they may not understand. Such as Simon the Pharisees. They're in opposition to Christ. So what Jesus is teaching us is that parables will bring salvation and growth. They'll, they'll melt the heart of the Christian. They'll mold the heart of the Christian and conform him into his image, but it'll also harden the skeptic. It will also harden those who are direct opposition to Jesus and want nothing to do with him. It already hardens the heart that is already dead and hard, that are hostile and opposed to him. So this is the background of parables as we get into, again, the parable of the sower and the seed. So let's quickly work through this parable. And here we see four types of soil the seed is sown in. Now, we might know this as the parable of the sower, but really it's the parable of the soil. The sower is Jesus, is God himself proclaiming the gospel. The seed, as he says, is the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. And then the soil is the heart of men, the heart of women. It's our heart. And so we see that in Luke 8, 4, we see, and a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to him. And he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow seed. Again, he's using a very common uh, occupation, a very common craft activity. In fact, Many people walking towards Jesus have probably seen farmers sowing seed as they're going to hear Jesus. And maybe right where Jesus is, there's a farmer sowing seed. And he sees, Jesus sees the farmer and he says, he sees the, uh, the strap that is around him with the seed in his back. And he's just sitting there and he's walking and the, and the sower's just throwing seed. And he's like, hey, look at that guy. And he said, there's a sower that's sowing seed. And this is what we see. The first, seed that the, so, uh, the first seed that falls on the soil is the soil of the unresponsive heart. The first soil that the seed falls on is the unresponsive heart. Look at verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And so as a sower is scattering the seed, some would fall on this path, which is hard. We, we've all been walking maybe or gone hike in the mountains, and we know what, where there's a path, where there's a trail, typically that path and trail is hard. Why is it hard? Because people are constantly stepping on it. It's becoming compact. It's becoming hard. This is like the, the sower, that he is walking on this path, that he consistently goes on and scatters the seed. It's hard. It's like, it's like throwing seed on cement. It's not going to germinate. It's not going to get down into the good stuff. It's not going to take root. And so he not only says that, but he says, in fact, the birds come down, swoop and grab it right off the, off the ground. And then listen to Jesus' teaching in verse 12. Look, listen to his explanation. Uh, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. So we see here in Jesus' teaching about the sower, and this, this soil is two things. First, we see that the path is hard. Again, this is representative of the soil of the, of the individual's hard heart. It's hard. It, it, it cannot get down. Everyone's been walking on it. It's hard soil, hard, unbelieving heart. This is the heart that could care less about the, the seed and the good news of Jesus. But secondly, this is what most people miss in this parable. Secondly, we see that Jesus explains that the devil comes in. The devil is like the bird that comes in, swoops out, and takes away the gospel message. So here we see that this isn't only a physical issue, it's a spiritual one. Jesus pointed out there's a spiritual problem here. 
It's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual warfare going on when the sower, when Jesus proclaims the good news, the good news of the gospel. There's an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want to see anyone receive this word, plant deep roots, and bear fruit. So the devil comes in and steals the seed, takes up the seed. This is the enemy. He will do whatever he can in his power to have our hearts, the, the person, be distracted, disregard the word of God, or deny the word of God. This is what's taking place in this first soil. We all know these type of people, don't we? We all have friends, family members that this describes their heart. In fact, this might have described your heart when you first heard the gospel. For, for my wife, Rita, this was kind of her story. When, when we first met, I just came to know Jesus. Uh, she was a non-believer. Um, and, and throughout her life circumstances, she, as we were talking to her about the, the gospel, um, she says, man, if, if that's true, then God is not good. He's unfair. He's unjust. Because he, he put me through these circumstances, but he's given you and put you through these circumstances, in particular a family. Her family went through a divorce. There's some alcohol in there. There was some abuse in there. And she saw my family, and it's like she thought we were perfect, which we, of course, weren't. But sometimes what hardens the heart is situations. Other things that harden people's heart is that they think that the message of the gospel is dumb, or for those who are weak-minded, or for those who are uneducated, for those who are unloving, right? This is the hard, unresponsive heart. It's unresponsive because their heart is hard, and because the devil has swooped in and grabbed the seed before it can take root. Secondly, we see the second soil. The the seed is sown in the second soil, and the second soil is the superficial, emotional soil heart the superficial or emotional heart response look at verse six and some fell on the rock and as it grew it withered away because it had no moisture well you see in israel they would have really understood this this would have been really they would have understood completely because in israel there's a bunch of rocks there's rocks everywhere there's hardly any good soil it's like israel's built on one big rock and some you might have some topsoil maybe an inch or two inches thick and so when the seed goes on it, it quickly maybe produces something but it immediately hits that bedrock and the root has nowhere to grow and it doesn't retain moisture and so it withers away and so listen to jesus teaching in verse 13 this is how he explains it the one on the rock are those who when they hear the word they receive it with joy but these have no root because they believe for a while and in time the testing they fall away so these these hearers this soil this heart are those who act in the spur of the moment. Uh, there's no root of perseverance uh, in this, when difficulty, especially when difficulty hits. And again, you know these type of people. You've seen these type of people. In fact, you might have been this before the Lord really tilled your heart and rooted it in the gospel. These are people that don't have genuine faith. It's superficial. It's manufactured. It's emotional. Now, emotions are good. God has created us with emotions, but we also know that emotions can sometimes lead us astray. And that's why we need to, to be rooted in on the bedrock of truth in God's Word. So the main reason why the Word doesn't take root in this heart is because there's no depth of genuine faith, of deep-seated convictions. It's just an emotional response. 
And then all of a sudden, they have this emotional response, but then when the trials hit, they are blown away. Again, a knee-jerk response. It's a decision made on a feeling rather than on the truth of the gospel. Uh, these, these are the people that when Jesus came down and the triumphal entry, we just celebrated this um, in Easter, when Jesus come down to make himself known as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there's a crowds are gathering and they're worshiping him with joy and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? They're blessing Jesus. And then a few days later, the mob is now saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's an emotional response. They're tossed by their emotions. We think of today of maybe revivals or crusades. These big emotional conferences where the gospel is is preached. And yes and amen to to thousands of people. But it's a big show. It's built around emotion to drawing a response. And we know that only 3 to 5% of those that that come forward in some of these revivals and some of these um, crusades, only 3 to 5% ever get plugged into a church. So 95% of them go their own way and never get plugged into the church. Now again, we're thankful for for guys like Billy Graham and Greg Laurie and those that have done those crusades and preached the gospel because it's not there. They're doing what they're called to do, to proclaim the gospel. It's up to the individual to respond. And so again, we, we, we see that, that, that we can make people respond the way we want by pricking their emotions. And over the last 25 years of ministry, I've seen this kind of here over and over again. They seem to make a profession of faith in Christ. And for a while, they're walking faithfully. They're coming on Sunday mornings. They're studying the Bible. They're even sharing the gospel. But as soon as a trial hits, the first trial or the second trial hits, they think that God maybe, you know, did a, a bait and switch on them. And they said, well, why is this bad thing happening to me? And then they just turn away and walk away. Jesus describes this heart as the superficial, the emotional heart. The third heart we see, the third soil, is the soil that is worldly or crowded. It's the, it's the soil, it's the heart that's worldly or a crowded heart. Look at verse 8. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And again, we hear Jesus teaching in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So this is the third here. The one that is again tossed to and fro by the cares and their own passions of the world today. They they have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. James calls these individuals the the double-minded man, the double-minded woman. Their, their heart is divided between the world and Jesus. They want to they wanna serve and live with both. And that can't really happen. You see, they never really make a clean break with the world. They get choked out by the world's systems, the world's values, or hanging with their friends that, that's, that lead them astray because of their worldly values. Now, we need to have friends that don't know Jesus to be ambassadors to them. We need to have them in our lives, but we also have to really watch ourselves like who is influencing who. You might say this heart is the one that is a person who dies the death of a thousand paper cuts. If we look at the first here, the response is instant rejection. As soon as they hear the word of God preached, they instantly reject it. 
the second group responds immediately and even enthusiastically, again with this emotional response, but then typically drops off or turns away after the first or second sign of difficulty. But this response, this response gets choked out over time. They, they hang out for a while around the church. They hang out for a while. And then over time, it gets choked out. I love how one put it. One said this. These hearts, these are people that have enough Jesus in them to make them uncomfortable with the world totally. And they also have enough of the world in them to make them uncomfortably totally in Christ. They have this divided heart. Sometimes they're with the world. Sometimes they're with the Christ. He says they are the most miserable of any of these people. Just sort of wavering back and forth. Choked up by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of the world. An illustration, I heard a story this week about a young man getting ready to propose to his girlfriend. And this is what he said. I don't have a big house, a high paying job, or a Porsche like Johnny down the street. But I love you with all my heart and I will do anything to make you happy. And this is her response. I love you too, but tell me a little bit more about Johnny down the street, right? It's a, it's a, I know it's bad, but that's it. You guys get it. It's a, it's a, I like this. I love this, but I also like this and love this. And they're, they're divided. This is the worldly crowded heart. Some of you guys know this heart. Some of you know individuals like this. This was once you, this describes you. That you had a worldly, crowded, divided heart. Well, these are the three soils, the, the three hearers, the three hearts, the actions prove that they do not have a genuine saving faith. But I want to encourage you with that. Even though we might know people that are in this, this situation, remember you and where you were before Christ. The hope is, is that as long as we're breathing, we're called to proclaim the gospel to individuals who don't know Christ, whether they're unresponsive, whether they're emotional or whether they're crowded, and praying for them that they would hear the gospel, that God would give them ears to hear, that God would soften and melt their hearts, and that they would come to Christ and the, the gospel would be rooted in their hearts for all time. And so there's still hope for these people. Maybe you're sitting in the chair right now and you're like, yeah, whatever you're saying, bro, I could care less. I'm just here to support a friend. Or maybe of you, you know, you had those emotional roller coaster rides. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I battle with Jesus in the world, Jesus in the world. I, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I also find myself giving into these temptations. The hope for you to, today that you would hear Jesus teaching you from his word to saying, hey, today you still can have hope. You can still be and bear good fruit. The Word of God can still take root in your heart. He can soften your heart if you repent of your sins and trust in Him. So these are the three soils, the, the three hearts of these hearers. 75% out of 100, we're going to see, respond negatively at first, which leads us to the fourth one. The fourth soil, the fourth heart is the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart. Look at verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded, yielded a hundredfold. Matthew and Mark say 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Luke, again, this is the cliff note version. He says a hundredfold. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then again, listen to Jesus in his words in this teaching in verse 15. 
As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. With patience. So here is the true believer in Christ. Here is the genuine believer in Christ. And the original audience would have heard the hundredfold statement and would have been blown away by the fruit that this soil produced. Because a good crop back then would lead five to seven percent of a good fold, of a blessing. But here Jesus says, this seed that gets into this heart and takes deep roots will give fruit of a hundredfold. It's astronomical. It's astronomical. They've been blown away by the, the production of this seed in this heart. Again, we sit here and say like, man, but only 25% believe. That's, that's the kind of average. But again, the, the, the production of this fruit makes up with the other for the other 75%. At least the person produces 34 and others produce, again, 60 and 100 fold. For those of us that have been around the block a couple times, we've been marinated in life, that have been walking with Jesus, not perfectly, but we've been walking with Jesus. As we look back on our lives, we can say yes and amen to what Jesus is saying. All of us in here have produced and have an incredible production of fruit. Some of us is 30, some of us 60, some of us 100. But we all have influenced the kingdom of God by God working his grace and his truth through us, both in word and deed. And look, there's three attributes of good seed bearing fruit. Notice, first you hear it. Someone's got to proclaim the gospel. You've got to hear the gospel. Look at verse 15. And as that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, so they hear it. The second thing is they hold fast to it. They believe it. There's a deep-seated conviction that now it leads, guides, and directs their life. The roots grow deep in their hearts. So they hear it. They hold fast to it. There's a deep conviction that we're going to now live our life around that. And then thirdly, it says, and bear fruit with patience. You act. It does something in you. You start producing good fruit. So you might say it like this. This is the characteristic of the good soil. The good soil welcomes the word immediately so it can't be snatched up by Satan. The good soil roots deeply so it not wither away by trials. And the good soil embraces the word exclusively so that no other passion can strangle it. That's what the good seed does in this soil. The good soil welcomes the word immediately so it's not snatched up by Satan. The good soil roots deeply so that it will not wither away by trials. And the good soil embraces the word exclusively so that no other passions can strangle it. Amen? And again, notice, notice this heart that bears fruit. Again, 30, 60, 100. But notice how? With patience. With patience. We just say in baseball, this is a long ball game. We don't play a, a short game. We play a long ball game. It's, a, it's definitely a marathon race, not a sprint. The Lord is going to mold and shape and direct you. We start out as this soil. Again, He tills us. We're just this, this flat layer of dirt. And He's tilling us. And he's, and he's bringing in moisture. He's giving us rain. He's fertilizing us. And at first, we're just this, again, this, this piece of dirt. 
But then over time, we see the seed that sprouts and grows up and becomes this great fruit tree. It takes time. It takes patience. Patience is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us and shows us in our lives. And impatience is one of our greatest enemies, is it not? And many of us have this battle. This is one of our greatest battles. Patience and impatience. But it's a great gift. It's It's a gift given to us by the fruit of the Spirit. And you think about some of the great artworks or the great stories of our day. It doesn't happen instantly. It takes time. You think of Michelangelo. It took him four years to paint the Sistine Chapel. It took him time. Four years to paint that thing. It took him two years to create David. You think of some biblical stories. We went through Exodus. It took him, it took the Lord shaping and molding Moses for 80 years before Moses was ready to lead the people out of exile. He spent 40 years in Egypt and he spent 40 years with his father and his father-in-law, his father-in-law out in the wilderness. It takes time. It takes patience. Patience, you can say, is one of the top five attributes of the Christian Christian's life. It's love, it's hope, it's faith, and it's patience and patience, right? It's what it is. We bear fruit with patience. We have a, we have a little sign in, in our house, and, I, and we look at it daily. It's right in the, I think it's in the kitchen, but now I think it's in our living room. And this is what it says, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. The day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. It takes, takes time for it to grow, germinate, become a great fruitful tree. It takes time. God is the one who's shaping and molding you. It's good to have convictions when we're walking through life and we're like, man, I can't get over this sin. I keep battling, I keep fighting, but I can't, I can't seem to kill it. I can't seem to get over the hump. And we become impatient. We're like, Lord, are you doing anything? And the answer is, yes, He is. He is doing something with you. And sometimes He, 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 he immediately takes that chip off the block. And sometimes it, it, it takes Him and His purposes a while for us to, a while for Him to take that chip off. Again, it's His timing. He's doing something in you. He's doing something in me specifically for a purpose. That's why Philippians says that that He he who began a good work in you will complete it. But it's going to take time. It's going to take your life until you reach glory. So don't get frustrated when you can't get over the hump. This text informs us that, hey, the Lord is working. He's bearing fruit in your life and my life. It just might take some time. And that's okay because God is the one who's sovereignly in control of your life. He is the one ordaining your steps. And He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. So He is working in your life. Okay, quickly. Verses 16 through 21. And really what this, these two circumstances, situations, these two stories really just highlight the response of a fruitful hearer. They highlight a response of one who heard the Word of God. It took root in their heart. And now this is what happens to an individual that hears it. It says this in verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest 
nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Verse 18, Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given, and the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. The simple point here in verses 16 and 18 is this, that Jesus, that the application of a fruitful hearer, the response to the Word of God, if, if, if you have heard correctly the Word of God, if it's taken root, or here that uses a light, if it has illuminated your heart, then you cannot hide it. You cannot cover it up. You, you have to let the light shine, just like the little kid's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's a deep, rich theological song. It comes from this right here. You can't hide it. You don't put it under a bushel. That wouldn't make sense. But if it's taken root, if it's illuminated your heart, when you walk into the room, your life should light up that room with the truth and the wisdom of God. And it says when you do that, when you shine it, two things happen. One, it helps others see clearly that maybe are blinded. It helps them bring them to the truth of, the, of God. And secondly, it also brings judgment. It, it shines a light on their sin to be known. So it does those two things. It does those two things. And then we see in verses 19 and 21, Jesus interacting with His family. Again, Luke is not so concerned with chronological time. He puts it at the end of the parable of the sower. Matthew and Mark typically put it, put it at the beginning. And so... Jesus sums it up here in verse 21. He says, Jesus clearly teaches us that fruitful hearers are those who hear the Word and do it. This, this is the, again, this is not for your salvation. You've already heard it. You're already rooted in Christ. You already repented of your sins and trusted Him. Your identity is you are a child of the King. The next natural act is that you obey the King. That's the fruit, is that you obey the King. Again, this is Jesus teaching us. Those who hear are those who hear the Word of God and do it. These, this is the fruit. This is the life of a Christian. Of Jesus' spiritual family are those who obey His words and His commandments. And again, not perfectly. Not perfectly. There's only one who's perfect. That's Jesus. But the trajectory of your life and my life, even though we have days that we do well, then we might fall, trip into sin, but we do well again, we repent and believe, we, we see this trajectory of obedience. The, the more you come to know Christ, this is the sanctification process, the more you become more like Christ, He is transforming you, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, from one degree of glory to the next, into His image. It's a gradual climb of Him conforming you. The more you come to know Jesus, the more you are rooted in His Word and studying and listening to His Word, the more the Holy Spirit is illuminating His Word, empowering him, His Word to live it out, you will sin less and hate your sin more. You will grow. There are things that I don't do now that I used to do all the time when I was a young believer. But through the process of His Word, through the process of the Holy Spirit working in my heart, sanctifying me, I am becoming more and more like Christ. Am I perfect? No. Do I still sin every day? Yes. But not like I used to. And that's the same as you. You know that same story. There is progression in your sanctification. You are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. More, each and every day, you are being transformed into the image of Christ more and more. This is the response of a fruitful hearer that we 
study. We listen to God's Word. And it changes us. We obey it. Let's wrap this up so we can get to some baptisms. Is this you this morning? Jesus says to us this morning, listen up. He who has ears, let him or her hear. Were you a good listener this morning? Were you listening to the words of Jesus through His Word this morning? And are you, are you prepared to act positively to His commands, to His words this morning? Again, maybe some of you are sitting here and you have the unresponsive heart, the impulsive heart, or the worldly crowded heart. Well, Today is the day that Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you forgiveness. doesn't matter what you did. Like we talked about it last week with a sinful woman. You're like, man, Aaron, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but Jesus does. And like we said last week, there's more grace and mercy in Christ than sin in you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. He can forgive you. And He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to, to hear His Word. He wants you to believe it, have deep convictions that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Christ. That He lived the perfect life in your place and my place. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He made payment that we were supposed to make, but we couldn't. He was our substitute on the cross. He will die. Three days later, He rose again from the grave. He is a Savior. That is what you root your life around. Deep convictions of Jesus. And when you do that, you will have a, a joyful life. It's not always going to be easy. You're going to have ups and downs and all around. Some tough things are going to happen to you. But because you're rooted on the rock of Christ Jesus, He will get you through it. And as you look back on those difficult seasons, again, your, His promises are going to be true in your life. You're going to look back and say, when I went through those valleys, as Psalm 23 says, He was the good shepherd. He was there leading me, guiding me, directing me through the valley with His rod and His staff. So if again, you're sitting here and you haven't responded to the gospel, today is the day of repentance and faith in Christ. And if you are fruitful here, which I believe many of you guys are, keep fighting the good fight of faith. It's a battle. It's a war out there. There's an enemy that, again, wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Just because he's, you've come to know Jesus doesn't mean you're off the hook. He's still attacking you. He still wants to see you fall. So be on guard. Keep fighting through prayer, through the study of the Word, through community, through conversation, through authenticity. You say, hey, I'm struggling here. Can you pray for me here? I need help here. Be open and honest. Secondly, thank Jesus for giving you understanding. Thank Jesus that He's given you understanding. He has taken your hard heart and He has melted your hard heart with the truth of the Gospel. The Holy Spirit has come in and He's regenerated your heart so you can see God for who He is and you can understand and obey His truths. And then finally, keep listening to Jesus through His Word. Keep studying this. Keep opening this. Keep, keep, let this be your playbook. Let this be the thing, your North Star, that directs you and I through life. So let's continue to be fruitful hearers this morning. And now we get to turn our attention to, to three young men. Three young men who's, who heard the gospel. The, so, the, 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 the seed has been sown by Jesus. It's taken root in their hearts. And now one of their first acts of, respo of responding to that and bearing fruit 
is through baptism. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very familiar passage for all of us. And I pray that that um, we were good listeners. I know this week, just being in the text and just sitting at the foot of Jesus, you teaching me, Lord, has, has caused me to, to look at my life and just be like, man, you are, you are continually working in my life. With, and I need to be patient. I need to be patient with some, at- some things in my life that you are, for whatever reason, working out again for your glory and for my good. Let me not get frustrated. And the same with those in here today. Lord, I pray that that no one walks out these doors that are of the first three soils. And I pray that everyone walks out these doors as the fourth soil, the fruitful soil, the fruitful heart that has embraced you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.